And we all have things we have to do. We have to work. We have to get the kids to school. We have to, you know, fix the leak in the roof. We have to do all those things, of course. But then do what you love to do. And happily, my mix of have to do and love to do is moved towards the love to do. So just follow that and don't waste your time on, on things that don't bring you joy. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. Okay, so let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Keith Van Sickle. Keith and his wife Val made their first trip to Provence decades ago, and it was love at first sight. After that, they came back every year until 2008 when they began a part-time life there, splitting their time between Provence and California. Keith has published two books about the couple's experience in Provence, One Sip at a Time, Learning to Live in Provence, and also Are We French Yet? And he also shares his local knowledge in a third book called An Insider's Guide to Provence. You can see all of Keith's great blog posts at his blog, Life in Provence, which we'll link up to in the show notes. Keith, welcome to the show. Drew, thanks for having me. <laughs> this is great. Keith, you know, I, I, I reached out to Keith. I read, I read a wonderful story about him and his wife in International Living Magazine. And, uh, uh, you know, just, just your experiences, Keith, um, from, from, from working in finance in California to, to ending up in Europe, um, in Switzerland and and then later Provence. Uh, Keith, maybe if you could just start by just telling us a little bit about your story and how you made your way to, to Europe. Sure. So in 1994, I was working at a regular job in a regular company in California, and I was offered the opportunity to go to our Swiss operation in a little town in the middle of nowhere um, with about uh, 300 employees. So it wasn't a little operation. It was actually pretty big. And my wife remarkably found a job in that same town. And so we moved to Switzerland. And it was really a life-changing experience because when you live in another country with a different language and a different set of customs, you really see the world through different eyes. And we not only had a chance to live and experience Switzerland, but also because we had international jobs and Switzerland is in the middle of Europe, we traveled all over Europe and saw lots of different countries and lots of different people and we just fell in love with it. And after five years, when the expat assignment was over, uh, we came back to California, which was great. We got to see our families and our friends, but we really missed life over there. And it was almost a little like life in Europe was in color and life back home was in black and white. And so while we love our life in California, we tried to figure out how to get back to Europe. Uh, we looked for expat, assign, uh, expat gigs again, but they're very hard to find. Uh, and we were lucky to have just one. So eventually we both uh, stopped nine to five jobs and became consultants to give ourselves more flexibility so that we could sort of become part-time expats. And so we decided to start living abroad part of the year 
in you know working a lot when we were in California, working less when we were abroad because we had the flexibility as consultants. And, and at that point, remote learning was starting to remote working was starting to become a possibility. And in 2008, we started that. And while we had loved Switzerland, uh, because we no longer had Swiss, Swiss salaries and Switzerland's a very expensive country, we decided to live somewhere else. And we chose Provence because we just always liked it. And we thought, well, maybe this would be a nice place to stay. And we tried it for three months in 2008, and we liked it so much that we've been back almost every year. The last couple of years, of course, not because of COVID, but we're back again now. And it's uh, so we live sort of a bi-national life and we love what's in California. We love what's in Provence and we, we enjoy both. Mm. So, Keith, I was telling you that back in 2019, my son and I traveled around France and we spent a week in St. Remy de Provence in, in Provence mm -hmm. and absolutely loved it. It's such a magical place. And I know you and your wife, as you were saying, are, are prolific travelers. What do you think it is about Provence that kind of drew you in? Well, you know, it's funny. When we lived in Switzerland, we said, whenever we went to France, we said, oh, gosh, this is just the greatest country to travel in. And whenever we went to Italy, we said, oh, gosh, this is just the greatest country to travel in. Because they're both just great food, great architecture, great history, great art. Uh, but we started, especially my wife, to learn French when we were in Switzerland because we we're in the French-speaking part of the country. And so that sort of tilted it to France. And we wanted to live in an area which has got a lot of outdoor activities because we like to do that. We're not really big city people. We can avoid it. And we had just always liked Provence, and we thought we would try it because there's a lot of uh, things to do outdoors. There are charming villages all over. It's a breadbasket of France, so the food here is wonderful. And it was just one of those things we had fallen in love with the first time we visited and continued to come back. Uh, we, we, we found ourselves coming back to Provence more and more and, and finally decided to stay here. Mm. And as you know, San Remy is a great town. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we stayed in an Airbnb that was almost like a small castle. <laughs> um, I mean, castle really isn't describing it. I mean, it wasn't that big, but, but, you know, made of stone and uh, mm -hmm. it was just, yeah, it was just wonderful. It's also an area which I like because it's got so many Roman ruins and artifacts. It was mm -hmm. an important part of the Roman province of Gaul. And so there are arenas, there are aqueducts, there are triumphal arches, there are all sorts of things here many of which are still in use. So we've gone to events in the arena in the town nearby many times. Mm. And it's just this living history that you still see, which is fantastic. We really like that part. What have you noticed about the lifestyle? So, so you said um, France felt to you like be, living in color and, and California a, little, a bit like black and white. What have you noticed in terms of some of the lifestyle differences between between the U.S. and Cal and, and Europe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in the U.S., we're in a, I would say, a particular place, which is a little bit at one of the extremes in the U.S., and that is we live in, work and spend our careers in the Silicon Valley. So this is a very go, go, go place. It's where we're all trying to invent the future, and there's, uh, and it attracts people from all over the world. So it's a very 
international place. And, and I just loved that when I worked in the, the Silicon Valley because, you know, you'll have, I mean, my company, when we started, it had at one point, the first 50 people, we had 17 different nationalities. And so we had people from everywhere and we we're all working together. It's just so energetic. Um, but the, the disadvantage is that that's pretty much all you do because it takes a lot of work to invent the future and you don't have a lot of time for other things. And it's kind of a young person's game, I find, because eventually you just don't have the energy for that anymore. Um, and and to, to be a little stereotypical, and I think this is extreme, but it captures it a bit. The people there live to work. And here it's much more people live to live. You know, they have to have a job, they enjoy that, that's fine, but it's really what happens outside of work that is most important. So it's a much more balanced life here. Um, you know, you'll have long meals together on the weekends, and that's the center of social life. And so business and careers and all that aren't as important. Now, I think it lacks some dynamism economically so it's not like this is perfect then it's easy but we really enjoy the contrast we enjoy what each has we enjoy the energy and enthusiasm of silicon valley and the pace and we enjoy the slowness here and the appreciation of small things the appreciation of meals around the table the appreciation of a walk in the mountains so we it, it, it's kind of two different worlds that are hard to combine because they work at very different paces. So we enjoy having part of our life in one, part of our life in the other. And we enjoy them each for what they are. Mm. And and I know you've said before that you, you once had a six-hour lunch. Oh, yeah. Easy. I would love to hear about that. What is what is that like, Keith? Uh, well, I mean, we had lunch with, our, with some friends yesterday, and it was probably five hours. So <laughs> it just, it's, well, it's not like you sit and eat the whole time. You sit, you start, and... You chat for a while and then you have your aperitif. So there are some small things to eat. There's some wine. Oh, you might try this. You might try that. You talk. You eat. You talk some more. You talk some more. You talk some more. But eventually, yep, I guess I better go start the fire to grill the fish. So that takes a little while and you talk. And then the fish get grilled. Oh, it's not quite done. Okay, we'll cook it some more. Oh, better go get some other food out of the kitchen that we've prepared. And so you eat that and you talk and you talk and you talk. And you drink some more wine and a few hours have gone by and then, Oh, let's go up, sit on the hill here and have a coffee. So you kind of relocate because you want to stretch your legs and you talk some more and you have some coffee and Oh, well, there's a little after dinner drink you want to have. And this just kind of slowly moves. You're not in any rush. In this case, these are friends we haven't seen for a while. So there's a lot to catch up on. And before you know it, the sun is getting a little bit lower in the sky and you really ought to get home to, to feed the dog. So it's, <laughs> uh, it's remarkable how, how much time that can take when you're not in a rush. Mm. Mm, that's beautiful. You're not trying to do anything. You're just trying to enjoy each other's company and how are you doing and what's going on and how's your son. And, and, and of course the other thing you do when you get together with French people, especially is you talk about food so you talk about what you're eating, you talk about what you've eaten before, you talk, you talk about what you're going to eat sometime, you talk about recipes, you talk about where you got the asparagus, you talk about how you prepared the asparagus, you just have, a, have the ability to talk a lot about food. I remember once uh, a friend of ours who's a retired chef had dinner with us, he came over and we had fish and he spent 
I don't know, 90 minutes talking about fish, how you buy it, where you buy it, how you prepare it, how you store it, things he's done with fish, different kinds of fish. And it was fascinating. It was, you'd think that would be boring, but it was just really, really, he was into it so much and he, he loves it so much that we enjoyed talking about fish with him. Mm. It was great. Yeah. That is great. And so, so while you were in Provence, these, these books, you've written now three, three different books. Um, mm -hmm. what, what inspired these books that you've, that you've been writing? Well, so when we started coming here, I started a travel blog just to keep our friends and family up to date on what we were doing rather than sending a lot of emails back and forth. I thought, well, if you're interested, I'll post little stories about what we're doing. And because when you move to another country, in, in my case, you don't speak the language and you don't really know how things work, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and do pretty stupid things. You know, I'd already learned that in Switzerland. I got to learn it again in France. And when, when, when you do stupid things and embarrass yourself or have a bad experience, I think you can take a couple of approaches. You can, of course, you're going to be humiliated or angry or whatever at the moment, but you can keep that in you and just be miserable, or you can turn it into a funny story. And so I take the approach of turning things embarrassing, humiliating, terrible things into funny stories. So there, because I did a lot of humiliating, stupid things in the first few years here, I had a lot of funny stories. And my friends would periodically say, hey, you should write a book. And I would say, uh, you know, I'm not going to quit my day job. I, I'm not an author. But eventually I thought, well, I don't know. Uh, let me talk to a friend who is a successful author and share my blog and ask his opinion. And he's a good friend, so he would give me it straight. And he said, no, actually, there's some good material here. This is funny. You could use this as a basis for a book. But uh, I'll just give you a couple caveats. The first is you're going to need to publish it yourself. You're unknown. Don't try to find a publisher or an agent. That's a waste of time. But you can self-publish. There are tools for that. And the second thing to know is that the average self-published book sells a couple hundred copies. So don't think you're going to go into this and be a best-selling author. You're probably just going to sell it to one copy to everybody you know. And I thought, okay. And he said, but I think you'd have fun. I'll, I'll help you. I'll encourage you. So I wrote the book. And it turned out to be pretty popular, which was a big surprise to me. So I wrote another one. Uh, and, I, and I took a different approach in the two books because – it's fun to try new things. And at that point, I thought I was done because I don't, didn't really have any more good stories. And, but as part of working to publicize a book, part of my marketing, I guess, is I write articles about France for different publications. And I figure maybe if somebody likes an article, I might find my book. But over the years, I've written a few hundred of these. And when COVID happened and I really couldn't travel, I needed a project. I thought, well, maybe I can use these for the basis of another book, which is an insider's guide to Provence, things I know about Provence that could be helpful to other people and create a guidebook that is sort of a supplement to the standard guidebook because it doesn't have, it has a lot in it, but it doesn't have everything in it. But it has more detail on some things in other books and it maybe talks about things that might not be in other books. So I created a guidebook. And actually, it's actually been pretty successful. So uh, n this was never the plan, but it's worked out in a in a nice way. Mm. 
What was one of the good, um, if you had a juicy one for us, Keith, as far as an embarrassing, humiliating, I mean, stupid, I mean, you know, we're all humans. We all, we all do these kinds of things, but do you have a real good one for us that might, uh, be at the top of the list for most embarrassing? Uh, sure. So I, Val and I were in town one day, she was shopping, doing one thing. I was shopping, doing another. I said, okay, well, I'll meet back at the car. And this was a few years ago when my French wasn't that good. We rented a car. We'd just gotten there. We were stopping at the house. There's a little parking lot in town. It was really crowded and people were waiting in the aisles for your car, you know, to, for a parking spot to open up. And so I, I, you know, got to the parking lot. I beeped the light splashed on the car so I could find it. I got in the car. I closed the door. I'm going to wait for Val. And a minute later, this lady knocks on the window and she said something in French, which I don't understand. And so I figure she's one of these ladies waiting for a spot. And so I try to explain, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm waiting for my wife. I'm not leaving. The spot is not going to be open. I said this in kind of broken French. And she looks at me. And then she says something like louder and more direct, like not so friendly. And I try to explain again. I'm like, man, she's really, she's, she seems like she's getting kind of mad and she's got her purse and she's holding it really tight. Like she's getting mad. I'm like, this is not good. What is going on? And then she said it again. And then I realized she said, sir, you are in my car. And I looked around and there's a pack of cigarettes and a, and I, it's not like oh, I, it's not my car. I got in the wrong car, which is just, and I didn't know how to explain myself. And she's looking <laughs> like me, like, what idiot doesn't know his own car? What are you doing, sir? You're in my car, you moron American. You don't even speak my language. You're in my car now. Get out. So I got out and I'm apologizing. I'm trying to remember the word for sorry, sorry. I said it like a million times. And I realized later, we our cars looked the same and we had beat them at the same time at the same time and i saw the oh. light flash i thought it was my car i got in the wrong car it was so oh. embarrassing oh that's beautiful though what a, what a story yeah. though that's great <laughs> yeah it was really not good at the time oh right God. right right but <laughs> but like i said you can wallow in it or you can go oh, actually pretty funny story <laughs> yeah that's a that's a great story oh that's so funny so years ago actually keith we had we had the great travel writer um, Rolf Potts, who wrote a great book called Vagabonding. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting when I was interviewing him, you know, I asked him, you know, for people that want to travel the world, you know, what do they have to do? You know, what would be the first step? And he kind of surprised me when he said that the first step is really just to give yourself that permission to see the world, to travel. And I, I'd love to ask that same question to you. What you see as sort of the first step for someone who has that dream of wanting to live outside, you know, their home country? Hmm. Uh, well, I would say two things, I guess. I would say be open-minded and be uh, patient. So what I, I remember when we lived in Switzerland, there were a number of, there were a lot of expats, and there were often couples where one worked and the other didn't. Uh, they were the so-called trailing spouse. And there was a group of them, they were sort of a club, and all they did was complain about things not being the same back as back home, wherever home was, the U.S., Britain, whatever. And... I think you have to go into it saying, well, it's not going to be the same. You have to be open to that. And things will be different. Some will be better. Some will be worse. But 
you're not there any, where you are anymore. Don't expect things to be the same because they're not going to be. And every place you live has good points. So focus on those. Take advantage of those and try to minimize the discomfort of the things that aren't the same as before. You know, whenever we go from California to France, we really look forward to the things that France has. And of course, we miss things from California, but that's not the point. We're here to be here. So we focus on the good things. And when we go back to California, we look forward to all the good things that are there. So be open-minded about the differences and embrace them, or at least don't reject them out of hand. The other thing, being patient, is moving to another country, especially if there's a language barrier, but even if not, there are cultural differences. Um, it's going to be hard at first because you're going to be stupid all the time until you kind of get over an initial break-in period, which is months and months long. Um, I remember we had been in Switzerland for about six months, and Val one day went to a store to, to, to buy some shoes, which is a pretty normal thing to do, and she she couldn't. She realized she didn't have the right vocabulary. She could explain what she needed. And she came home so frustrated. And she said, you know, I used to be competent. And every day you're incompetent. And, <laughs> and you have to, yet just have to be patient because you'll get through that. We have friends right now who are in Lyon who moved from the U.S. And they both speak French. But they're having that struggle because how do you get a phone? How do you get a train card? How do you get a bank account? How do you get, how do you get established? And it's not easy. But you can do it, and eventually then that investment you make really pays off. But you have to be patient and, and sort of kind to yourself as you go through a startup period, which can be frustrating. Mm. So so just go in with your eyes open, and mm. that, that'll make it easier. That's great. Um, Keith, what are some of your daily practices or rituals that you have that you would say make you feel the most alive? Um, well, I would say, uh, first of all, I have the advantage of not working now. I'm retired. So it's different for me today than it was back when I had a you know, busy career. Um, so now I, I think I have the, the happy opportunity to do what I want a lot. Um, and so I just kind of what I, what I call follow my energy. You know, my energy says, I want to do this today. I don't want to do that. You know, let me, let's change our plans to do what will bring joy today. And you don't always know what that's going to be. So, I mean, as a small example, I just finished an article I owe to one of my publications. And I had done my research a few days ago. I'd interviewed the protagonist. I knew what I needed to do, but I just didn't feel like writing that. And the next day, I didn't feel like writing that. And the next day, I didn't feel like writing that. Today, I feel like it. So I wrote it. If I tried to do it before, it would have been a lousy article. Today, I think it's pretty good. Hmm. Um, and it, it sort of reminds me a few years ago, we were visiting my wife's uh, elderly aunt, who was, I don't know, mid to late 90s at the time. Good for her. And we visited her in her apartment in New York, where she lives. And, and on the way, as we went out to our car, uh, first of all, amazingly, in the middle of winter, she walked us out to our car in the snow, and she's in her mid-90s. Uh, you go, Ruth. But she kind of grabbed our, our arms as we left, and she said, let me, let me tell you something. First, do what you have to do. Then, 
do what you love to do. And we've just always remembered that from Ruth, mm. who is no longer with us, but she, she lives in our hearts. And, and we all have things we have to do. We have to work. We have to get the kids to school. We have to, you know, fix the leak in the roof. We have to do all those things, of course. But then do what you love to do. And happily, my Nick said, have to do and love to do is move more towards the love to do. So just follow that and don't waste your time on, on things that don't bring you joy. Unless, of course, you have to do them. Mm. I love what Ruth said. That's amazing. She was cool. She sounds really cool. Um, well, another another question here that I ask a lot of people on the show, uh, Keith, in your eyes, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a human being in 2022? Uh, I don't know that it's particularly different in 2022 than 1922 or 922. Uh, I think... The, you know, of course, there are always crises in the world. There are always problems in the world. Um, some of which we can help with, some of which we can't. But I think the it always helps to treat others with kindness and respect. And you know, the the golden rule um, really, I think, has always made sense and still does. So. You know, if, if there's a problem you can go fix, go try to fix it. If you can't, you know, then move on. But always treat your your fellow human with dignity and respect and kindness where you can. Mm, beautiful. And, if, Keith, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 50 years or so, what words of wisdom would your current self share with your younger self? Um, it'll be fine. Relax. Enjoy the ride. Um, I'm not sure I'd tell myself to do anything different. I mean, life works out the way it works out. And mine has had its twists and turns put on balance. I think it's good, but, uh, but don't get up to a title along the way. It'll be fine. Mm. I think that's what I'd say. And, and the last thing is, I, 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 when I was researching you, I, I found out that you started your own college scholarship foundation. I put myself through college. My wife put herself through college. So we understand how important financial aid is. Um, and so back really just a few years out of grad school, we thought, well, what can we do to help the next group of kids? And so we started this foundation in honor of my parents who were both high school teachers. And so it's in my hometown, in the public schools of my hometown, because that's where they taught. And every year we ask for, for um, applications. We interview four finalists. We, we pick one. Uh, we just picked our most recent one last weekend. Um, a really great kid who's going to do wonderful things but needs help. And I think he was our 30 your 34th scholarship winner. Um, and, you know, it's it's partly a way to give back. And, you know, the money is nice. Every dollar counts when you're trying to go to school. But I, I found that what almost helps just as much is the encouragement at a time when you need encouragement. And often the kids we support don't have families, you know, where parents have gone to college. They don't have a lot of money. So they don't have a lot. You know, a lot of us grew up, oh, you're going to go to college. This is how it works. Well, they don't have that. They're really out there doing it on their own. 
And I remember uh, a few years ago, I got a, a message through LinkedIn that said, hey, are you the one who does that scholarship? And it turned out it was one of our early winners who uh, we lost touch with, you know, um, but she had been a single mom, going to school, working, just really doing her best. And we had dinner with her. She was, she was me and my mom in San Diego. We were down there one time. And she said, boy, I really want to thank you guys because you believed in me at a time when pretty much nobody else did. And that made a big impact on our lives. And of course, we all broke out crying. It was, it was really sweet. But it wasn't the money so much. It's like, come on, Leslie, you can do it. And so that's more what we try to do is just encourage them, be a cheerleader, and do our best to help them get through college and get going. Mm. That's so great. So people want to learn more about your books. They want to read your blog. Where should they go? So the blog is, as you say, it's called Life in Provence, but the address is keithvansickle.com. So there you can read all my stories and find my books, etc. The blog, the books are available on Amazon. So if you just go to Amazon and look up my name, you'll find them. Or look up one of the books and you'll find the other ones. Mm -hmm. mm. That's great. Keith, Keith it's, great to, it's great to chat with you, connect with you. As I was telling you, I mean, we spent a magical week in a place that you're in right now in St. Remy de Provence and just love it out there. Um, so enjoy all your travels um, with your wife and uh, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.